I think glamour is not a feeling and that's where the whole, the whole problem comes in. Because when I want a glamorous life, I want living my life to feel like looking at someone else's life, but it just can never be that way. Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. This episode is brought to you by Cocoon. That's my coaching practice where I help people find their purpose, take creative risks, and define leadership on their own terms. If you're curious, you can schedule a time to chat with me at the-cocoon.co. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Diana. We are going to be talking about glamour today. And um, can I tell you a secret? Uh-huh. Um, I changed my clothes for this episode because I was feeling so very disconnected from the concept of glamour. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm sitting in my closet just for the sound quality, I'm staring at a pile of laundry that's clean, but it's from a week ago, and I, I haven't folded it. And I was wearing clothing that's like, like, I did get dressed today, but it was clothing that could serve as pajamas. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a time in business school when I came to an exam wearing extremely old capri yoga pants uh, and, you know, something spacious on top. And, uh, you know, business school is full of very ambitious people who exercise a lot. And so my friend was like, oh, are you going to go to the gym afterward? And I was like, nope. <laughs> she was like, oh, so you're just wearing, you're just wearing your stretchies. And I was like, yep, I'm just wearing my stretchies. <laughs> So that was where I was at today. So I decided to put on um, faux leather leggings and a wine-colored, like, tunic blouse. And I thought that might help me a little. Connect to the idea of glamour in order to debunk it? Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, I, I guess what we're doing is debunking glamour today. Is that what we're doing? Well, I mean, there's got to be a question. Uh, should we be glamorous? Yeah, maybe. I I was thinking of something like, should we pursue glamour? Mm, yeah, like, should we seek glamour? Yeah, right. Because, like, I mean, and we've got to get to the bottom of this. I feel it's very important for, like, the rest of my life, Diana. <laughs> we gotta get to the bottom of glamour because even though I know rationally that the answer to that question is no. Should I seek glamour? No. I do though. I can't mm-hmm. help it. Mm-hmm. I get very torn between um making choices based around other things and like lusting after glamour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I have a very fraught relationship with glamour as well. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of it comes from being a catalog kid. Like I would read catalogs that came in the mail cover to cover as a kid. You know, I would have a whole scheme, practically a spreadsheet for, you know, which of the Halloween costumes should I, you know, beg to beg to use allowance to buy or beg to use paper out money to buy. Um, and I've probably shared this on the podcast before, but I was like a true devotee of uh, Coldwater Creek, which is like a brand for people my age now, <laughs> you know, maybe a little older <laughs> even. Um, but I would, you know, go back, I would go through the catalog and I would circle all of the gowns and the freshwater pearls and, you know, everything that I wanted to buy um, for my 10 year old self. And then I would, you know, make tough trade-offs behind the $500, uh, you know, between the $500 thing and the $400 other thing that I desperately wanted. And I, it's so funny to me that I spent time on that, but I would get so taken in by the language and the snap and the pizzazz of the marketing speak and the images and just the dream of living a smooth life. Mm. Yeah, I mean... I would do the same thing. I I think it was more with like the Sears catalog and the JCPenney's catalog. Cause like for me, where we were at, like JCPenney's was glamorous mm-hmm. and Sears was glamorous. And I would also, I would circle everything in the catalog that I wanted. And then I would like add it up yeah. and then I would become despondent. Uh-huh. Oh no, I have zero dollars. <laughs> And I need $10,000 worth of things to make my life glamorous. Like, that's a huge gap between mm-hmm. me and the glamour that I so deeply desire. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a connection here to living your best life because you were basically like, there are $10,000 between me and my best life. Right. Like, it's a finite number, mm-hmm. but it's, it's impossible. It's just, mm-hmm. I just can't reach it, you know, mm-hmm. as a 12 year old. Yeah. I mean, I did exactly the same thing with my catalogs and I think that it was a precursor to really online shopping too, because both of us grew up just before it was common to use the internet for shopping. Um, and, you know, these days I catch myself over and over and over again there's such a connection between consumerism and glamour and so many products promote themselves by creating a fantasy of what life will be like on the other side of owning them. Right. Right. And, but then I think, you know, as soon as I entered the working world, um, like the idea of sort of like chasing glamour became very um interconnected with you know the the career choices i made and as somebody who like studied english and went to divinity school it it is it is very confusing to me like how did i get to a point where like i i would just like drool over like certain like like profiles 
of people who seemed glamorous mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in their work. And I wanted that so badly. And I, I, I mean, I think part of it has to be connected with what you said about ease. Mm-hmm. Like ease, fame, money, and glamour seem like they're all interconnected. But we have come up with this hypothesis that, like, they're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Glamour specifically, I had a huge breakthrough, which, of course, I forget over and over again. But at the time, it was a huge breakthrough uh, when I read this book, The Power of Glamour by Virginia Postrel. And it's this big tome with tons of examples of uh, of glamour and how people relate to glamour and really like academically unpacking glamour. And she says this really interesting thing, which is that glamour is like humor. It's in the eye of the beholder. And therefore, there's no such thing as glamour on the inside. Right. Right. So we are thinking that no job is glamorous on the inside. and. I feel like you and I have both had experiences that our past selves would drool over. Like, oh my goodness, that's got to be so glamorous. Mm -hmm. And then we've done the thing. And I think for the most part, the spell was broken. But I'm sort of curious, like, as you go through your catalog of experiences, can you pinpoint? Some that like it was like no that was truly glamorous it felt glamorous so I think glamour is not a feeling and that's where the whole the whole problem comes in because when I want a glamorous life I want living my life to feel like looking at someone else's life but it just can never be that way Mm. Uh, you know the moments in my life that I have storied as glamorous in retrospect. I think of our live show for Should We as a glamorous moment. I think of my wedding as a glamorous moment. I think of my, you know, handful of keynote appearances as glamorous moments. Each of those have the theme of dressing up and knowing I would be photographed and being seen. And not just knowing I would be photographed, but really my main experience of the memory now is through photographs. And to me, that just draws the connection again between glamour being about beholding and what was glamorous about those moments was knowing that they would be documented and saved forever. So I think as as you're saying that, I think that I there have been moments where I felt glamorous. Uh, I'm thinking specifically about this talk I gave in Stuttgart, Germany. And I remember sending you a photo of myself Mm -hmm. where I had like this microphone, like, you know, it curves around your face. Mm -hmm. And like somebody had touched up my makeup and the venue was like, gorgeous and it it felt really glamorous um like for a moment for the like 15 minutes before I went on stage 
while I was on stage. And I probably, the moment I walked off the stage, it, it didn't feel glamorous anymore. But the, the spell that was broken for me in that and other experiences like that is the idea that glamour comes with ease. Mm-hmm. Like once things look glamorous, um, you're, you're just like flowing through the world um, in, as you said, like a, this smooth way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, like in that example specifically, you know, I was extremely jet lagged. I, you know, had to go there and back in, I don't know, 36 hours or something Mm -hmm. from the West Coast on a series of discount flights. (laughs) Um, I was sweating. I mean, that is the truth about any experience where I'm like being seen or where there might be a chance that I seem fancy. I'm sweating like crazy. I'm wearing prescription deodorant. (laughs) (laughs) And usually I'm tired because uh, those fleeting moments, I feel like, are generally coupled with like months and years of being a workaholic and chronic overachiever. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like you can rearrange the particles of life and you can rearrange the energy curve, but there's always a cost. You can't create more total energy. Ugh, this equation. I feel like it's a genius, Diana, but it's also so disappointing. <laughs> there's still a part of me that's like, no, but if I just tweak one more thing, can't I be seen? And feel glamorous, and it's not hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And I mean, all of the all of the messaging about you know, eat this way, and it will give you more energy, or exercise, and it'll give you more energy, are all about kind of escaping that escaping that equation. But yeah, I mean, I just we express to each other probably five times a week each just shock that it's not we're not we haven't arrived (laughs) we're not we're not finally in what we call perfect from now on right right and I mean I feel like for me there was there was there was a peak there was a peak moment where I felt like I've gotten all the pretty pretty much all the ingredients that I thought would go into the recipe of glamorous life that is like sort of easy it doesn't feel like a struggle mm-hmm. and maybe also like I could escape being human mm-hmm. somehow mm-hmm. and that was like the worst ever I felt very <laughs> bad I wore very fancy shoes and I cried a lot you know mm-hmm. I just felt I felt really trapped in my in my own little bubble of like, this was supposed to be fancy. This w- and so it was supposed to be good, and I was supposed to feel good. 
mm-hmm. at the end of every day. I mean, I'm a little, I feel self-conscious about how superficial my perspective probably sounds around this. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of it is based in growing up having not enough. Mm-hmm. And there was just such an abyss between me and and the people who had more than enough. And it felt like, if only I can cross that abyss, then mostly everything will be okay. I'll mm-hmm. be safe. Once I'm glamorous, my life is glamorous, then I'll be safe. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a lie. Yeah, I mean, we're still ourselves and it's really painful to get a lot of what you fought for and then realize you're still you and life is still full of ups and downs Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that like okay I I mean a lot of the time I feel like well if I'm gonna be human it could be easier to do it while glamorous or it could be more fun, you know? It's not saying that there weren't a lot of privileges and perks to go along with some of those experiences. But I think I I remain surprised at how ephemeral they were and how not worth the cost. Mm-hmm. And the cost has often been, you know, on to the, the glamour has been to the detriment of my physical health, my stress level, relationships, um, you know, things that the things where when you get to the end of your life, you those are the ones that mm-hmm. mattered most when you look back. Yeah. And I think it just it's inevitable because glamour the pursuit of glamour is about appearances just definitionally right and so i'm thinking about this article that we both read uh, uh, by tavi gevinson um and that to me oh i thought it was such a masterful article um and it touches on so many of the the themes that were like rustling up here and um like one of them is the like the gap between the appearance of glamour and the reality and one of the things she talks about is how um like her her financial life didn't match what people expected was behind the illusion of glamour that she was, she had started to portray and then was basically trapped in a cycle of portraying mm-hmm. in order to keep her, you know, her brand and her businesses alive. Yeah, it's, it's so grim. The article is so grim, but it was also really comforting because I have beheld Tavi Gevinson, you know, like I have been an admirer for a long, long time. And I always thought that she, to my tastes as a, as a witness, really towed the line tastefully between, you know, sharing her real self and, you know, being super cool and fancy. And so to learn some of the backstory and what it felt like on the inside 
felt like my final proof that no job and no life really feels glamorous on the inside. Um, you know, I think that it's important to tease apart glamour from some related ideas. Like after our last episode where we mentioned this idea of no job is glamorous on the inside, the last episode the two of us did just, just together, um, we got a tweet, which was really, really insightful, which was like, oh, maybe not glamorous, but, you know, um, these lines of work are like extremely meaningful. And glamour, you know, glamour, if you connect it with good, you know, there's plenty of things that are very good. Um, you know, there's plenty of things in life that are meaningful and good and positive and that it's possible to appreciate and they can be beautiful and all kinds of things can be that way. But glamour specifically, for me at least, is, you know, all of the good with none of the bad. And that's what's unrealistic. Right. It, yeah. It's not real. Um, and I'm also thinking about this article. I actually, I can't remember if I sent it to you, but I, I will put it in the show notes. And it was about grooming expectations. Um, and it was talking about um, the, the cost in, in terms of like money and time and energy. Um, that burden, particularly on people who show up at work as women. And it, then it went into some specifics about how, like, yes, okay, broadly, it seems like we could all agree that the burden on how, uh, on all the work women have to do in order to, like, be um, accepted in society to like be able to go out the door is is like uh, it it's awful and it's wrong. But this article was was pointing to research that was saying like it's and and it's true that um, people who um, go along with that burden. And fulfill the expectations um, that society is placing on them because of their gender identity are more likely to get a raise, more likely to get promoted more quickly. And so it, it just it just makes me think about how playing at glamour and even um, trying to appear more glamorous than your life may be at the moment it is it's like it is a way of moving forward basically mm -hmm. like when I was growing up my mother would really drill into me this idea you need to dress for the life you want you you know we're broke but you need to show up in the world like you're not and somehow that and a combination of other factors will help make it different. Mm -hmm. And part of what weighs on me is that she was kind of right. I've done a good job of playing the part of glamorous in certain situations. And it helped, you know, and at the same time, it, I'm like, that's wrong. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be that way. And also, I don't want to keep doing that. 
Yeah. I mean, I have a really kind of complicated relationship to this too, because I grew up in a pretty intellectual household and, you know, makeup was explicitly devalued. Um, and so, you know, I experimented with it as a teenager, uh, but I grew up in a value system that kind of had me returning to this baseline of like, no makeup is what's normal and even good. Um, and, you know, makeup is just one aspect of appearances and it's just one aspect of glamour. But I do sometimes wonder, you know, even as someone who mostly opts out of that, what I'm missing, you know, like, could life be easier if I just gave in? Well, the problem is, like, it's a catch-22 because, at least according to this article, like, it is possible that you might increase your chances of, you know, professional recognition or acceptance or success, like if you wore makeup, for mm-hmm. example. However, the cost is you'll have to buy the makeup. So that's like whatever mm-hmm. raise you would get, like a cut of that is just going to your like makeup tax, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and then also you would need to spend the time doing your makeup when like people who aren't expected to wear makeup, they don't have to pay the makeup tax. And they have that extra time mm-hmm. that they can use to like think about ideas mm-hmm. and like I do, do the work or just enjoy their life outside of work. Right. And, you know, I'm also noticing that I just put intellectualism in opposition to makeup, which is like, you know, flawed in its own right, because I definitely don't think the two have to be in opposition. You know, I, I, it's so complicated because I think that there's also a great argument in favor of certain of these practices as chosen ways of self-expression, you know? So I, I think that it's all really complicated. What I can say about my experience is that I still want the outcome of everything looking smooth and good, both kind of uh, at a meta level and like just physically. Like I just want, I just want my physical life and surroundings to look smooth and good. But the hard thing is realizing that even if they look smooth and good. They might not feel smooth and good on the inside. They're still probably going to feel rocky. Right, right. And this is another thing that, that like, I didn't expect that, that has surprised me is that the difference between, so it, I, I feel like whenever I've been in a potentially glamorous situation, it's like I'm watching my life as a movie on a split screen. Mm-hmm. On one side is the image that other people see. And sometimes I get, you know, comments about that, you know, like, like, oh my gosh, that, that, that seems so glamorous or what I, I, I want that too, or whatever creates an aspirational image. Mm -hmm. On the other side is the, the reality that I'm living and 
which involves some level of suffering. And the contrast between the two actually adds a level of suffering. Mm-hmm. Like, in a way, it like it there's this extra layer of hurting. It like it like pinches you, mm-hmm. like pokes you when you see the glamour reflected back and it, there, it you don't feel it on the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that seeing ourselves seeing ourselves and seeing the gap between how we seem and how we feel is a huge source of pain because when we say we want to be seen I think a lot of the time we mean we want to be understood and accepted and loved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really scary. Like, especially when you talk about the, when you put it in the context of, of work, like on the one hand, I want to be seen and understood. I don't want to have to put up a front, an illusion of glamour. Mm-hmm. you know to be trusted mm-hmm. and respected and and to to progress mm-hmm. on the other hand it's really it is scary to to let down your guard yeah vulnerability actually means that things are going to get messy and that can be really hard to risk i think there's also an angle here that's about careers And like, we've talked a lot about glamour as it relates to appearances, specifically things like beauty and self-presentation and, you know, the image, the literal image of what the experience is like. But there's also something here that goes back to those kind of success profiles that you talked about. A classic model is like the New York Times style section profile. And, um, and there's, it's, it's, goes beyond appearance it goes beyond physical appearances that's a big part of that but when i see one of those profiles part of what i'm craving is the idea of making it and being being kind of captured in time it's like a wedding for your career or something you know <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. And what is this idea of making it? You know, I mean, I think that I have, I have given so much of myself, uh, my whole life to the idea of making it, you know, like made sacrifices on the altar of making it. Mm -hmm. And, but like, what is that really? You know, what is, what does that really mean? Yeah, I think that making it to me means kind of the end, you know, riding off into the sunset. And that's what those profiles seem to capture is the moment when, you know, everything was good and everything was fine and there was plenty to look forward to, but we're ending the narrative here. And it's so hard when I read a steady diet of these snapshots in time. It would be like only ever seeing wedding photos, you know, when we only read about these kind of peak moments of success, 
And what's so tricky about them is that they'll sometimes include these nods to realism and relatability. So there'll be something unflattering in the piece that keeps it from being completely obnoxious. But it's so small. And the smallness of it makes it feel like maybe the rest of it really is that good. Right, right. And okay, uh, this this happens on Instagram a lot too, where you'll have, you know, some an influencer whose whose life is very seems glamorous, desirable, easy in some way. That's like part of what draw people to this account, you know, like flies to a light is mm-hmm. the dream of that. And then they'll take these moments where they'll like reveal like, you know, something hard. And it keeps it relatable. Um, it like ha- helps you, remind you that they're human, but it also helps keep the dream alive. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, see, they're human and they can have this, uh, this whole thing of glamour and ease most of the time. But then sometimes they're a little bit human. Yeah, they're only human, you know, but yeah, like most of the time it's good and smooth. Yeah, I mean, Instagram is the big elephant in the room on this. And I think that we talked a good amount about Instagram in the last episode we did, just the two of us. So I I wanted to kind of build on that here. But gosh, I mean, Instagram is really, it's like the finest glamour machine the world has ever known. Um, and part of what makes it so powerful and dangerous is the longitudinal dimension of it. Like the fact that you're seeing people over time self-reporting their own lives and they're becoming their own kind of surveillors, you know, like they're, they're performing self-surveillance. And Tavi in her article goes into this in amazing depth and texture about her life. It's about her life as an Instagram influencer, you know, and how that basically took over her career as a publisher and an author um, because glamour was so much easier to sell than words. Right. Oh, it's so insidious. It's so insidious. And also, like, I want to make sure that we're not doing this thing that we're talking about, like, right here. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of meta because it's like, well, we're making this great podcast. (laughs) That seems kind of glamorous and, (laughs) you know, mentioning some glamorous experiences, but then also nodding to the the struggles Uh or what it really (laughs) felt like, you know? So it's like, how, how do we, how do we get away from that? We also... I think why I thought of that is that, um, you know, I don't want to be too critical of people who are in the public eye and um, who are not particularly vulnerable because, Mm -hmm. like, some boundaries are so essential. I think I've grown to appreciate privacy more and more. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, they owe us nothing. And I, I would not... I would not ask them to change a thing for me, you know, like I don't, I don't, uh, that's not, that's not my claim. I think that across the board, the thing that I noticed the most in this is, 
each of these stories, when I see behind the scenes, when I see behind the scenes of Tavi's life, for like every few days, I'll send you an article where I'm like, no jobs glamorous on the inside. Like, turns out this line of work is also, you know, has its crappy moments. Um, and I really like, I, I really uh, indulge in them and luxuriate in them because it reminds me to stop the idle thought process that everything's going to be better once something changes like it's always just life and on the inside it never feels like a picture mhm mhm and i'm trying to figure out like like what is so so should we seek glamour no right mm-hmm. but 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 then what should we do I mean, okay, we should seek meaning and fulfillment and connection with others. I mean. (laughs) Right. No, I know. I think actually I have a good story about this, which, um, which relates to beauty. You know, I think Mm. that I, uh, I remember on my honeymoon with my husband, which itself was, you know, uh, almost a glamorous experience, but also it wasn't glamorous on the inside. You know, there are plenty of, uh, I, uh, I did not love, uh, you know, dipping into the waterfall pool in Hawaii. This was a very panicked, panicked experience for me. So anyway, we were on our honeymoon and I was thinking about, I was thinking about beauty because I'd just gone through this big experience of trying to be at peak beauty for our wedding. Um, and you know, I like problematized that along the way, but I was still trying. And so we'd gone through this experience and I'd gone through the experience of prioritizing beauty and then I was feeling kind of crummy about it. But then through talking with my husband, I was able to unpack that part of why I felt crummy is that I felt like beauty was shallow to care about. And so part of me felt shallow for the whole thing. But then he just said a few words that gave me a new perspective where I realized that beauty is actually a value of mine, but it's bigger than my own personal appearance. It's like, I value beauty in the world. I value the beauty of nature. I value the beauty of a wonderful color palette. I value the beauty of, you know, light streaming through the windows. I value beauty and my beauty can be a part of that, but it's not wrong because it's feminine, you know, like beauty can just be something that I value and appreciate. And if I pull out beauty from glamour, that helps me answer, should I seek glamour? Well, no, that's like an impossible bundle. You're never going to be on the other side of seeing yourself from the outside. But should I seek beauty? Yeah, because that's about me as an appreciator and I can be an appreciator of myself but I can also be appreciator of the world around me. It's less of a hall of mirrors when I pull out the ingredients of glamour. Right. So it's really about the impact. Like, okay, am I um, choosing to put something on my body or, or experience something or bring it into my life that has the impact on me of like, warming my heart mm-hmm. around that appreciation of beauty like uplifting me you know it's just i just imagine this like glow 
that goes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the it go there's something outside and it touches you inside and and then that emanates out mm-hmm. versus am I grasping at things that um are gonna make me seem to other people glamorous and then also make me feel sad on the inside because mm-hmm. of the contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I want to agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think there's a lot of truth in it. But I just go back to what you were saying about how caring about how we're seen does impact the way we're rewarded and and appreciated by others professionally in life. And that's so tricky to resolve because, you know, should you abandon, like, should we abandon caring about how we're seen in favor of only doing things that warm our hearts? Well, not if it's going to leave you broke, you know, like we live in a system and we can't ignore the system, but what we can do is try not to internalize the system. And try to change the system wherever we do have agency or yeah. power. Yeah. Um, so this article about the burden of grooming um, it was like, you know, it was kind of depressing, but true. Um, and then at the end, they came around to like, so what do we do then? What are we supposed to do? Because it's such a catch-22. And, and the recommendation was basically like, band together whenever mm-hmm. you can. When you notice that there's like a pattern among the, the people around you, particularly at work, like, oh, there's this pattern of what's acceptable here or what's Mm -hmm. rewarded in terms of appearances and illusion, then, you know, it's, it's, we can look for our agency. Like when Mm -hmm. can we stand up against that together and make space for the, the variety of how people want, need and want to show up in order Mm -hmm. to do their best work. Yeah. That I agree with wholeheartedly. Well, on that note, is there anything else you'd like to say about Glamour before we go? Well, we, we created quite a curriculum on the fly in this episode. And I would say if you feel intrigued by these lines of thought, Dive in and interrogate your own relationship to glamour by marinating in other people's unpacking of it because it really, like, it really opened my eyes. And the thing is, my eyes close again and again because we live in a system where glamour is the norm and the expectation if we, if we, if we accept it or not, you know, it's like the default. Yeah, yeah, where it's idolized, exactly. But it really helps me to have these resources that help me peek behind the curtain into what is true. Yeah, yeah. And me too. I mean, I have, um, from my experience in divinity school, from my work experience as a coach, like I have a lot of training in looking for the deeper meaning. And trying mm-hmm. to not be seduced by glamour. And yet, it's a constant process 
mm-hmm. to like notice and and wrestle with and and unpack that that the appeal the mm-hmm. the lust that arises. So yeah, we'll definitely have all of these readings in the show notes and. I'd be really curious to hear from our listeners too about their their relationships with the mirage of glamour oh yeah let us know hey there thanks for listening and if you'd like to unpack your own relationship to glamour you don't have to do it alone As always, you can schedule a time to chat with me at the-cocoon.co.